Thank you again for being here tonight. We are looking at Acts chapter 8 in our study. This is the next to last character study that we will have for this year. We're going to be talking about Philip the Evangelist. And then next week we're going to continue our study in chapter 8 as we think about Simon the Sorcerer. And so thank you for your participation this past year. We appreciate so much the opportunity to look at these characters and to try to grow in our knowledge of God's Word. Uh, Jared and I enjoyed putting this list together, and we anticipate another good year. Hard to believe that this year is winding down. In just a few days, we'll be in 2023. And if you're visiting tonight, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming our way. We appreciate so much you being with us. We hope you'll come back. Let's look at Acts chapter 8 tonight. And in Acts chapter 8, as I said a moment ago, we're going to be focusing our minds on Philip the Evangelist. And there are really two things that we want to talk about in our study tonight. First of all, we're going to note his very public study of God's Word. And then we're going to note his private study in terms of the Word of God with one individual. And so look, if you would, at Acts chapter 8. You remember persecution was ramping up against the early church. And persecution was not, uh, was not out of the ordinary at this point in time. And so the Bible tells us that persecution was sweeping the city of Jerusalem. So the disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And so the text tells us in verse 4, that those who had been scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. Now look at verse 5. In verse 5, Luke said that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now you remember before Jesus ascended to heaven, He told the apostles that they would be endowed with or endued with power from on high. And they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and then he said, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And so what we read in the book of Acts is the phenomenal growth of the Lord's church. The church began on Pentecost Day in the city of Jerusalem, recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 2. And from that time forward, the church is a growing entity, and the gospel is, the gospel is being preached and taught in many, many different places. And so now we have the gospel going beyond Jewish lines. It's now in Samaria. And so let's just talk for a moment or two about the public ministry of Philip. And note if you would, first and foremost, Philip reached out to the people in Samaria. Let's note his message. In verse 5, the Bible says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, as I read a moment ago, and preached Christ to them. Imagine if you can, having the opportunity to share the Christ with people that quite possibly are unfamiliar with the Anointed One. Now, the Samaritan people, they knew something about the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, the Samaritan people, as John would point out in John chapter 4, they had no dealings with the Jewish people. And the Samaritans, they had intermarried. We can go back and read about the children of Israel, the northern kingdom, as they were taken into captivity in about 722, 721 B.C. by the Assyrians. 
they intermarried, and those ten tribes were lost forever. And so these people had some knowledge about the coming of the Christ. And so Philip has the opportunity to go to these people and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there are people in our world today that desperately need to hear the gospel, don't they? And I'm grateful for all the efforts that are expended from this location in trying to share the gospel, whether it be radio, television, the internet, the printed page. I mean, there's so many different opportunities that are before us today. And you think about the age in which we live. We have all these great resources. And to use those, to maximize those resources, to share the gospel of Christ. And then, note if you would the miracles. The Bible says in verse 6, that the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, we have said before that the miracles confirmed the word. Mark makes that abundantly clear in Mark 16. And you can read verses 16 through 20. And those who were performing the miraculous, they were confirming the authenticity of the word that they were sharing with those about them. But I want you to think for a moment or two about not only did he reach out to these people, but think for a moment or two about their receptivity to the gospel of Christ. Drop down and look at verse Note, if you would, in verse 12. The Bible says, When they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Now, we're going to come back next week and talk about Simon the sorcerer, so we're going to leave that until then. But what about their receptivity to the message that they heard? Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 8 people that have honest and good hearts. So we're talking about fertile soil. People that believed, and belief is a generic term that encompasses more than just what we might call mental apprehension. But it is a belief, a conviction, that moves one to a point of obedience. In other words, in Acts chapter 5, at verse 14, we have an example of that where the Bible says, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Well, how were they added to the Lord? They obeyed the gospel of Christ. So these people came to believe in the Christ. Now, Luke tells us that part of preaching Christ encompassed preaching the kingdom of God. I wonder why that was. Well, if you go back and you read about those Old Testament prophets, they were pointing to a divine institution that would come into being. That divine institution, spoken of by Isaiah, for example, is seen as an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. Daniel talked about this eternal kingdom, a stone cut without hands. And he said that kingdom would stand forever. So when John the Baptist, who was preparing the hearts and minds of people to receive the Christ, do you remember his message was very clear, very concise? He said, repent, why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus, when he began his public ministry, he too was pointing people in the direction of his kingdom. So what's the thrust of the kingdom? Why is the kingdom so important? Well, we would all agree that the message of Christ is an imperative. I mean, Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. 
It was through the sacrificial death on Calvary that the problem of sin was effectively dealt with. But God has an institution, a house, if you please, wherein the saved are said to reside. Well, what's that house? It's called the house of the living God, the church of Christ, or the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So when people obey the gospel, they are not only connected to the Christ, but the Bible says they also become a part of the body of Christ, or the church. Now that word church, in the American Standard Version, that would be the 1901 version, is found about 95 times in the New Testament. So when people obeyed the gospel, when they heard about the Christ and what Christ had done for a lost and dying world and responded with an obedient faith, they became members of that body. I'm well aware that there are people today that would say what you need to do is focus on Christ, preach Christ, but you don't really have to emphasize the importance of the church. And there are some today that would say, well, the church is a non-entity. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Really, if you think about it like this, Christ was instrumental in our redemption. He was an imperative. Just as important as the sacrificial death of Christ on Calvary is the institution known as the church. They go hand in glove. They fit together. You can't have the one without the other. So when they believed the things that had been spoken by Philip, concerning the name, the authority of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Luke said they were baptized, both men and women. So from a public standpoint, I mean, you can just imagine the multitudes of people that this message resonated with and they responded accordingly. Now, I want you to see something in the second place. Drop down if you would. Let's talk about this very private meeting that he has with, that is, Philip has with a eunuch. And I want to begin by talking about the eunuch's investigation. And then we're going to talk about an explanation and then his salvation. But note, if you would, in verse 26. Philip has just had this great success in the city of Samaria. And now the Bible says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, if you look on the map, you'll see that Gaza was a coastal city. And so the Bible says that Philip arose and went. Now, why do you think the angel instructed Philip to go to this man? Because God uses human instruments in the accomplishment of His will, doesn't He? And so note what the text says. Look at what Luke says. So He arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia. Ethiopia would have been located in eastern Africa. Now this guy has been to Jerusalem to worship Almighty God. So first, consider if you would his rank. He is said to have been a treasurer over the treasures of Candace. Now, the name or title Candace, that was not a proper name. 
but rather it was a term used to identify those who held this position, much like Pharaoh of days gone by. And so we think about his rank. The text says that he has, tre- that he has charge over all her treasury. And then, note if you would, his religion. The Bible says he had been to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. I would take it to mean that this eunuch from Ethiopia, he had heard something about the one true living God, had become a proselyte to the Jewish religion. Based upon that, he was going to Jerusalem for the purpose of worshiping the one true living God. We're talking about several hundred miles this man covered. Says something about his heart, doesn't it? His interest in spiritual things. So he's going back home, and the Bible says, Luke says, as he's making his way back home, he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading Isaiah chapter 53, and note what the text has to say. The Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Philip was an inspired man. You can go back and read Acts chapter 6. So when this man asked Philip, or rather when Philip asked this man, do you understand what you're reading? Philip had the ability to... Go back to Isaiah chapter 53. And as we would say, fill in the blanks. So here's where we come in in the 21st century. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have questions about religious matters, don't they? Some want to know just very basic fundamental issues. For example, Why is it that you emphasize the importance of the church? Or why do you worship God every first day of the week? I notice you partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Why would you do that? Why is it that when you worship God, you don't use any type of instrument? Other people do. Why is it that you don't? When you talk about becoming a child of God, you emphasize the importance of being baptized into Christ. I hear you talking about repentance and how important that is. And then to be baptized or immersed in water. What's so significant about that? Are there not people today that we have the opportunity to serve as a guide in their study? That we can open up the Word of God and we can say, okay, listen, here's why we teach this particular thing in the realm of worship. Or here's what we believe when it comes to the church of the New Testament. This is what the Bible says in terms of what one must do to become a child of God. Are there people that need that kind of basic fundamental knowledge? Yes. That's why it's important for us to equip ourselves so that we might rightly divide the word of truth. When people ask us the question, why is it that you don't use the Old Testament Scriptures in terms of governing your behavior today? Well, we ought to be able to give people an answer, shouldn't we? Didn't Peter say that we're to sanctify the Lord God in our heart? That we're to be ready to give an answer to every man that asks us? In other words, we are to be ready to give an apologetic, a defense of what we believe in meekness and fear. 
So, Philip has the opportunity to serve as a guide to this eunuch. Now, again, this guy's reading Isaiah 53. He's got a scroll. He's riding back home in a chariot. I would assume he's a man of somewhat uh, financial means. And so here's what the text says. The eunuch responded by saying, How can I unless someone guides me? He asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. No doubt, intriguing words from the voice of Isaiah the prophet. And I get it. Here's a guy, he has opened the text, the Word of God. He's reading about this suffering servant, the one upon whom God would place the sins of humanity. He wants to know, okay, what's all this about? So you have his investigation. Let me just pause here and maybe make a point or two. We're living in a day and time when I would grant there are a lot of folks that are not that interested in spiritual things. But there are still good people that are interested in spiritual things. There are people in this day and time, believe it or not, that are concerned about their own spiritual welfare. They're concerned about trying to live a good life. They want to live the kind of life that would be pleasing to Almighty God. So we have the opportunity to open the Word of God and talk to these people and to try to make a difference. It might be the case that you will never stand before a group of people in a public way and teach. But you have lots of opportunities to do it in a private setting. And in my, in my opinion, it's a whole lot more challenging to sit down one-on-one -on -one and teach people than it is to do it publicly. I feel a whole lot more comfortable talking to a group of people than I do talking one-on-one. -on -one. That's just me. We're not the same. But we all have the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel of Christ. And so... He's investigating. And there are people today that are trying to investigate and research what the Bible has to say. It might be that we are the one that can come along and help guide them and point them in the direction of New Testament Christianity. There are good-hearted people in this world. And they're confused when they look around and see this maze of re religious division and confusion. And they don't understand, why is it this group wears this name, this group wears another name, they teach this, another group teaches this. Why is it we can't just believe the same thing? That's where we come in. And we can say, listen, let me tell you what. What we need to do is get back to the same standard, don't we? Well, what's that same standard? It's the Word of God, isn't it? I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If we want to know the dimension of this podium, we could guess, couldn't we? But if we want to be exact, then what do we do? 
pull out a tape measure. Well, why? Because that's the standard, isn't it? Twelve inches equals a foot. That's true in America. It's true in Europe. true all over the world. Why? Because there's a standard. In mathematics, we have a standard. Two plus two, it's not five, not six, not eight. No, it's four. It will always be four. There are certain standards, all right? So, religiously speaking, we've gotten so far away from the standard that sadly, many people don't know the truth of God. The devil has done a tremendous job in his deceptive practices, deceiving people when it comes to divine truth. Now, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. God's truth has the ability to liberate people who are lost and dying in sin. So this man is investigating. And I want to encourage all of us to investigate, to do your homework, do your research. Look, don't believe what you believe because I preach it or because Dio teaches it in his classroom or Billy teaches it in his class or Jared teaches it upstairs. No, you form your own convictions. You come to an understanding of divine truth and you stand on solid ground. What kind of solid ground? The truth of Almighty God. One of the reasons why a lot of folks in our world today are marred in religious error is because they have not done their homework. They haven't done their research. They have not spent time reading and studying the truth of Almighty God. Now look, I get it. You know, in the realm of medicine, when it comes to medicine, we want to be exact, don't we? In terms of accounting procedures. We want to make sure that every number corresponds. We want to make sure the books are balanced. Well, why is it in religion? We throw all that out the door and say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. It's not that big a deal. If I understand what the Bible teaches, it's a big deal. Well, why would I say that? Because Jesus said, He that rejects me and receives not my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. So if God's word is going to judge us, and it will, then it would only stand to reason that we ought to spend some time reading and studying and meditating on this truth and making sure that what we believe and practice is found in this book. Well, why? Because truth matters. When Pontius Pilate asked the Lord centuries ago, what is truth? Do we have a definition given to us by the Lord? Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. So now, let's think for a minute or two about the explanation. So here's what the text tells us. The eunuch has asked Philip about what he has read from the prophet Isaiah. Of whom does the prophet speak? Of himself or of some other man? Good question. Fair question. Honest question. So listen to what the Bible says. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant, preached Jesus to him. Now look. Philip didn't preach one message to the people in Samaria and another message to the eunuch. He preached the same thing. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, he preached Christ to those people. 
In verse 12, he preached about the authority of Christ, the church of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. And the Bible tells us in this context he preached Jesus. Well, to preach Jesus is to preach the Christ. So what would he have said? It's my conviction that as he began to unfold divine revelation to this man, that he would have talked about Jesus being the focal point of Old Testament Scripture. I think he would have gone back to Isaiah 53, as Luke said here, and he would have begun to unfold the redemptive plan of Almighty God. That when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God began unveiling that redemptive cause that would ultimately liberate the human family. And so Isaiah would say in the long ago, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Go back and read the writings of Moses. Read what the prophets of God had to say in the old days. Look at what Isaiah said. Look at the writings of Jeremiah. Note, if you would, the prophecy of Zechariah and others. All of those prophets are pointing to the focus of Scripture. Who is that? Jesus. The Old Testament prophets are saying, in anthem over and over and over again, the anointed one, the Messiah is coming. It didn't just say Jesus was the focus of prophecy. He said Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. That's very important. The one you're reading about, Mr. Eunuch, the one that you've been investigating, he's already been here. He's already paid the price for sin. So when Luke said, beginning at that same scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now to preach Jesus, that is a daunting endeavor, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about first and foremost to understand why did Jesus come to earth? We sing the song sometimes, why did my Savior come to earth? Well, the angel summed it up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he came to save his people from their sins. So now we've got to deal with the problem of sin. This man has been to Jerusalem to worship. Were they offering sacrifices on behalf of the people in that day and time? Animal sacrifices? You better believe they were. And why? You see, those prophets pointed to the coming of the anointed one. But the evangelist here, Philip, could say, the anointed one who is coming, he has now made atonement for sin. Now go back and read the Day of Atonement. The high priest, do you remember what he did on the Day of Atonement? He'd offer sacrifices not only for himself, but also for his family and then for the sins of the people. An animal would be slain. Then he would take a scapegoat place his hands on the head of that goat and begin confessing the sins of the people. Then they would take that goat and lead that goat out into the wilderness by the hand of a fit man, signifying the removal of sin from the presence of the people. Well, Jesus accomplished all of that on Calvary. 
As Peter said, Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That He might bring us to God so that we might have reconciliation, redemption in Christ Jesus. And so, Philip had the opportunity to share something about the Savior of the world. As Jesus said, look, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And Philip could say, the one you're reading about, he died for your sins. He bought the church. And that divine institution houses all the saved. And when you become a child of God, you become a member of that body. Because belief and baptism puts you in contact with the blood, and then you are part of His divine body, the saved. Now that's an awesome message, isn't it? So, thirdly, we have the salvation of the eunuch. Now, note if you would what Luke says. Luke said, as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, he said, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. There's not a word said in this context about Philip preaching baptism. Not one word. Matter of fact, you can go back and read his account in Samaria. Not a word said about preaching baptism. But baptism is Christ-centered. It is cross-centered. Look, if you're going to preach the man, you better preach the plan. And so, in his discussion about the Christ, the Savior of the world... He, unfold, he unfolded God's plan to become a child of God. So this man's baptized into Christ. He enjoys redemption. And then the Bible says he goes on his way rejoicing. Philip was a tremendous evangelist, wasn't he? Great success. Now let me ask you this question by way of wrapping things up tonight. Go back to Samaria. People obeyed the gospel, didn't they? The eunuch... Going back home, obeys the gospel, becomes a New Testament Christian. So tonight, let me ask this question. Why would I recommend to you the need to be baptized tonight if you haven't obeyed the gospel? If you're not a Christian, please listen very carefully. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, let me give you three reasons why I believe tonight you ought to make the decision to become a child of the living God. Number one, you need to obey the gospel because the Christian life is the best life in this world. It's the best life. Now we want to talk about the blessings of life. Look, there are a lot of blessings in life. The best life you can possibly live, it's in Christ. I mean, there's just no comparison. And there are a lot of people in our world today their lives are empty and void of genuine peace and happiness. When you obey the gospel, you enjoy pardon from every sin. The Bible tells us that in Christ we have peace with God, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. The Bible tells us that we have the privilege to go before the throne of God and pray regularly. The assurance of prayer, to know that God listens to my prayers as one of His children. 
And then to have the hope, the promise of life eternal. Heaven. I know you want to go to heaven. Let me give you a second reason why you need to obey the gospel. The Lord might come. Now you say, well, He hadn't come yet. Why would I believe that He might come tonight, that He might come this week? Well, let me ask you this. Can you guarantee me that He won't come? Do you remember in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter said that scoffers would arise saying, where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And here's what Peter said, for this they willfully forget. It goes all the way back to the flood. Remember what Jesus said about the days of Noah? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and took them all away. Do you know definitively Jesus won't come this week? You know that? I mean, can you guarantee me that? I can't guarantee you. You can't guarantee. Why? Because we don't know. I do know this, Jesus said, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Remember when I was just a boy. I'm not really sure how old I was at the time, maybe four, maybe five. But I remember on Christmas Eve, my dad, my brother and I, we are, we're making our way to the country. And that really wasn't that far from where we lived in Chattanooga, but it's where my dad's people were from. So we're out in the middle of nowhere, five miles out of nowhere, basically. But we're out in the middle of the country. I'm just a little fella. And I'm excited because it's Christmas time. And I remember my dad said something that, for whatever reason, I'd never heard before. We started talking about the Lord could come that Jesus will come again. As a little fellow, I'd never heard that. Maybe I didn't pay attention when the preacher was up preaching, but for whatever, I'd never heard that before. My first thought was, I hope he doesn't come today because we got, we got presents to open. <laughs> so what's my point? The point is he will come. He's coming. So you need to be ready for him when he comes. There's a third reason. You could die. That's just the reality of life, isn't it? Didn't the Hebrew writer say, it's appointed unto man once to die, after this comes the judgment? Can you guarantee me that you'll be here this time next week? Do you know that for certain? We live in a world that is uncertain at best. Two weeks ago, I want you to think about this. Two weeks ago, Mike Leach was preparing for a bowl game. When he walked off the field Thanksgiving Day, I doubt it ever entered his mind. I've coached my last game. But he did. A week ago yesterday, he was this side of eternity. 
And now he's gone. That's how uncertain life is. And we talk about here today, gone tomorrow. That's the truth of the matter. And look, if you die outside of Christ, or Jesus comes before you become a child of God, you will not like the outcome at the judgment. You understand that? If you haven't been baptized, and listen please very carefully, if you haven't been baptized for the remission of your sins, if you haven't been baptized for the right reason, you need to be baptized for the right reason tonight. Don't play with your salvation. Why live in uncertainty and doubt? If you haven't obeyed the gospel, I would encourage you tonight to come to Christ. Look, do what they, do, what they did in Samaria. Believe the gospel, obey it, become a child of God. Do what the eunuch did. And listen, you can walk out here just like that eunuch left the presence of Philip many, many years ago. You can go on your way rejoicing. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, I want to encourage you tonight. Please, obey the gospel.